as a quick disclaimer, there's some very slight language this week, in that I used the less appropriate name for a male donkey, like four times. This week, on the Myths and Legends podcast, we're talking about King Midas, from Greek mythology, and you'll learn all about bringing your dangerous pet to crowded city centers for fun and profit, and how, if someone is threatening to drop the sun on you, it might be a good idea to do what he says. The creatures this time are tiny, poisonous bears, who like to spit on stuff. This is the Myths and Legends Podcast, episode 69, You Got the Touch. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. Today, we're back in Greek mythology. This is a one-off episode, so you don't need to have heard any of the previous Greek myth episodes to jump in here. So, I'm not saying you don't understand macroeconomics, but you don't understand macroeconomics. This is a horrible idea, the god Dionysus said to King Midas. <laughs> Look, I'm going to level with you, Midas countered. I'm not even sure what the word macroeconomics means, but what I do know is that gold makes you rich. Therefore, if everything I touch turns to gold, my kingdom will be the richest ever in the history of the world, QED. And you can't see how this can quickly go obviously and hilariously wrong? How old are you? 60? Dionysus asked the king. 61, Midas replied. Dionysus chuckled. Well, you are really never too old for life lessons. All right, you want to turn everything you touch into gold? Fine. Everything you touch will turn into gold. Wait, just like that? No trial or quest or painful ordeal to gain this great and terrible power? Asked Midas. Just like that, Dionysus confirmed. I mean, I'm an Olympian. As far as self-inflicted curse, I mean blessings go, this one wasn't even that hard. I didn't even need to run it as a super user. You mean it's working right now? Midas asked. That's what I just said, Dionysus replied. If you just touch something, it'll turn to gold. Midas touched a leaf, and it became metallic and rigid as the gold coloring spread across it. Midas snapped it off the branch. Eyes wide and mouth agape in shock, he shook with excitement until he couldn't handle it any longer and then began singing and dancing around. He was going to be so rich. He was going to touch some more stuff. He thanked Dionysus profusely. Yeah, just, you know, remember this happiness later. Midas thought that that was a weird and ominous response, but whatever. He turned to go back home. And the first finger of the monkey paw curls, Dionysus said to no one in particular. What does that mean? Midas whipped around and asked. Oh, Dionysus said, it's a literary reference from the early 20th century. You know what? Never mind. It means you got exactly what you asked for. Midas, the king who was about to have a really interesting couple of days, wasn't born into a royal lineage. He was actually adopted into one by King Gordius, who also wasn't born into a royal lineage. Near the Phrygian city of Telmissus, Gordius, Midas's future dad, was a peasant and a cart driver who was doing well as a cart driver, but didn't ever think that people would be talking about him over 2,000 years later. Gordius was driving around when something perched on his cart, a massive eagle. Now, I personally might not be super cool with this, what with eagles having sharp beaks and 
the fact that I have eyes. When it became clear that the eagle was not going to leave its perch, Gordius had an idea. He drove his cart straight to the city of Telmesis. He was going to talk to the oracle. It was said that the eagle was a royal animal and a sign of good fortune. He was going to see just how good it could be. There, at the gate, Gordius attracted the attention of a beautiful young woman, about the same age. She was a prophetess, and upon seeing the eagle, she begged Gordius for a ride into the city. She said that the eagle was a good sign, and that he must immediately offer sacrifices to Zeus, and she should come with him to ensure he chose good animals. Gordius looked down at her and uttered maybe the worst pickup line ever, saying that she looked like a wise and considerate woman. He would give her a ride if uh, she was prepared to marry him. Even more surprising than that cringeworthy line was the fact that it worked. She said, sure, no problem, but after the sacrifices. For real though, let's get into the city. Your fate isn't going to seal itself. Unbeknownst to almost everyone in the city, the king had died that very morning. He was a kind and serious ruler, but he had never married and had no children or other known relatives. No one really knew what to do, except for the oracle of the city. I mean, oracles kind of always know what to do. That's why they're oracles. She announced to the city that the king was dead, and that was sad. He was a good guy. But that your new king will be coming soon. Very soon. Right now, actually. Their next king would enter the market riding in a cart, with an eagle perched atop it, with his new wife. Gordius was the only one who didn't know what was going on as he rode through the entryway to the market. People were clapping and hollering, and the young woman he had met an hour ago, and to whom he was now married, was beaming. And it took him nearly 15 minutes to learn that he had been declared the new king, based on what the oracle had said about him. Gordius was stunned by the news. Between hitting his five-minute anniversary with his wife, and now queen, and becoming ruler of his world, Today had been a day of some pretty big life changes. Despite having no experience ruling, administrating, judging, leading people in war, leading people politically, or leading people at all, Cordius got started on the right foot. He knew where his power came from, and he dedicated his old, trusty cart, the one that had made him king, to Zeus, who blessed and then promptly forgot about Gordius and his young wife, leaving them to live in peace and prosperity. Gordius tied his cart to a pole, but mm, something looked a bit off about the knot. Rather than starting over, he just kept adding loops upon loops, making it more and more complicated. Looking at the twisted, messed up ball of rope, he decided that, well, he intended the ox cart to stay in the castle forever, so what did it matter if no one could untie it? Seeing that the job was done one way or another, he left. The oracles who apparently couldn't help making broad and sweeping proclamations about the future, looked at the mess of a knot and said that whoever could untie it will be the ruler of all of Asia. It became something of a symbol, and the old ox cart sat in the palace. Though many tried, none could undo the mess of the knot Gordius had made. It became known as the Gordian Knot, and its legends spread throughout the world. Then, one day, a young man came looking for the fabled knot. His name was Alexander III of Macedon, also known as Alexander the Great. He took one look at the Gordian knot, pulled out his sword, and cut it. He put it away, smirked, 
and left to expand his empire from Africa to modern-day northern India. The Gordian knot has worked its way into English, and it means basically an extremely difficult, complex, or seemingly unsolvable problem. Alexander's quote-unquote solution is seen by some as classic, out-of-the-box thinking. But this podcaster sees Alexander as a petulant jerk who threw the chessboard on the ground and called it a win. But that's fast-forwarding about 800 years. Gordius was a good king who lived a long life. Somewhere in there, and we don't know the circumstances surrounding it, he adopted a child. I'm not sure if this was adopting a baby that was the son of the goddess Ida and some satyr, or if this was like the Romans sometimes did to nail down succession, where the ruler would adopt an adult as his son, sometimes an elderly man, so that there wouldn't be any question about succession. Regardless, even baby Midas had a mythos about him. As an infant, a procession of ants came and, one by one, crawled over the baby's lips, depositing individual grains of wheat as baby Midas slept. His parents, let's say Gordius, thought that this was super cool and went to get the soothsayers, who read it as an omen that he would have great wealth in his life. Now, I know it's touchy to give parenting advice, but if insects are crawling on your baby's lips, dropping who knows what into his or her mouth, maybe forego the questionable interpretation of a soothsayer and wipe the bugs off your kid. I mean, I get that you want to know if your child is going to be all right in life. Everyone does. But I think inviting friends over to watch bugs crawl all over your newborn is kind of a step in the wrong direction. But who am I to say? That weird obsession with riches and gold kind of defined Midas's life. So when Dionysus asked him for a wish, Midas was ready. We should talk about Dionysus too. Dionysus was the son of Semele, who was actually the human daughter of King Cadmus, who founded Thebes after fighting a dragon and who subsequently became a dragon because reasons. Well, Zeus decided to pay Semele a visit and yada, 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 Semele became pregnant. Six months into her pregnancy, she had a visit from an old crone who asked, the father of your child, how do you know he's Zeus and not, not Zeus? Hmm? Really makes you think. Anyone can say they're anyone. You should ask to see his face to make sure your baby's father isn't like, I don't know, a cyclops or something. Nope. Zeus said that night, you're not seeing my face. That's exactly what someone who is not Zeus would say. That old lady was right, Semele said. Old lady, <sighs> Hera. Okay, you met Hera in disguise, Zeus said. She's always doing this. Okay, you can't see my face because it will blow your mind. And that's not a euphemism, really. Your head will explode. Semele insisted though, adding that she would not be inviting him over tonight. So there. If you were worried that Zeus was kind of starting to care about someone, never fear. He got so mad that he wouldn't be able to spend the night with her that he showed her his face and her head exploded, just like he said it would. Hermes, the messenger of the gods, saw it and rushed to Zeus's aid. The baby was still in the second trimester, but with some quick work, they might be able to save him. 20 minutes later, Hermes was sewing up Zeus's thigh. The baby would live and grow to 40 weeks right there. Zeus looked at Hermes. His thigh? What, stomach wouldn't work? Hermes said that he thought about that, but a muscly man being visibly pregnant kind of sounds like a really not great Hollywood movie from the 1990s. Zeus agreed, and for the next three months, 
dodged questions about why his thigh was moving on its own, and kicking occasionally. Because this has only not happened once, there's no term for a cesarean section on a person's thigh, but that's what it was. Hera actually ended up catching and killing Dionysus after he was born, but Zeus brought him back and hid him multiple times, once with Persephone, once with a kind elderly couple who Hera drove into murderous madness, and once with some nymphs living in a cave where Dionysus grew to adulthood as a goat. Hera didn't stop when a grown-up Dionysus strolled onto Olympus, and she drove him mad. A lot of stuff happened in Dionysus' life, and we'll get to it eventually on the podcast, but it isn't relevant to our story today. But one thing that is relevant is Dionysus traveling around with an army, whose weapons included swords, sticks topped with pine cones, and serpents. You know, I imagine there's something lost in translation here, you know, with the serpents thing, but really, I don't care how brave or armored you are, but if someone's swinging a snake at you, you know what? My castle's yours, buddy. You've earned it. While Dionysus roamed the world with his army, his satyr friend and teacher got a little too drunk, even for the god of wine's company, and he wandered into the night. The next morning, the satyr was found sleeping it off, and now King Midas's rose garden. The royal gardeners bound the satyr and dragged him before King Midas, who said that it wasn't every day that a mythological creature was found heavily hungover in your garden. What brings you here? Selenius, the satyr, had some stories to tell. Midas didn't really know the world outside his kingdom, so he was pretty jazzed to learn all about it from this creature. He spent nearly a week listening to the stories of the world outside his walls, some of them accurate, most of them made up by the satyr, until Midas thought the satyr should be getting home. He sent for the demigod Dionysus. And that's where we started today's story. Dionysus was so grateful that Midas had found and taken care of Selenius that he gave Midas whatever he asked for, even if that wish was incredibly stupid and would result in misfortune almost immediately. Boom, you get a gold house. You get a gold house. And you get a gold house. Gold houses all around. Courtesy of Midas, the best king ever, Midas said, humbly, as he walked through a village on his way back to Telmissus, placing a finger on people's houses and leaving a trail of gold in his wake. Everything he touched was turning to gold. This was awesome. This was horrible. Everything he touched was turning to gold. That night at dinner, Midas plucked a grape and tossed it in his mouth as he was telling his daughter all about his new power. It was a good thing his daughter was there because Midas cracked a tooth and nearly choked when the grape turned into a little gold marble in his mouth. He coughed it up and looked at it. That was weird. He tried it again and it worked out almost as well as it had before. The same thing happened with water or wine. He would grab a cup, but by the time he raised it to his mouth, a block of gold would smack him in the face. Everybody was a little dismayed the next day when the king came out of his room basically naked. He said that he had a really cool new gold wardrobe and on a completely unrelated note, it was very hard for him to get dressed without touching his clothes. Eventually, the king had to have someone come feed and dress him, or he tried to. No one would come close to the king. They didn't know if the power worked on living things, but no one wanted to find out. Three days later, starving in his golden gloves and wearing a shirt he had shimmied into backwards, Midas thought that it couldn't possibly get any worse than this. He was so wrong. We'll get right back to King Midas making horrible decisions right after this. 
Here, let me help you with those, Midas's daughter said, not waiting for a response from her forlorn father. She pulled and pulled, but the golden gloves, well, they fit Midas like a glove. Finally, she was able to bend it enough that Midas's hand came loose from the metal, but the woman had been pulling so hard that she flew backwards. Midas gasped and absent-mindedly reached out to grab her to keep her from sprawling out onto the stone floor. It was only after the gold started creeping up on her arm that he realized what had happened. She stepped up and could only watch in terror as her arm turned to gold and stiffened, then her shoulder, then her chest and legs. As her lungs and heart also began turning, she tried to scream, but couldn't. She had mere seconds until her head and hair turned to gold as well. Midas was in total shock. His daughter was solid gold in front of him, with a horrified look just frozen on her face. Taking pride in being really rich, he could deal with never being able to touch anything ever again. But now, curled up and sobbing on the floor, after inadvertently turning his own daughter into a precious metal, Midas could admit that maybe things had gone a bit too far. He left immediately in search of Dionysus. Dionysus looked on the man who hadn't had a bath or decent meal in the past week. You figured out that when you ask for whatever you touch to be turned into gold, whatever you touch turns into gold, didn't you? Dionysus asked. Yeah, Midas admitted, looking sheepishly at his feet. Who could really see that coming though, right? You mean, besides people who think 10 seconds about what they're going to say? Dionysus answered and continued. You're lucky I'm forgiving. Unless you're a heart plane Argonaut or a small woodland creature. Anyway, you can go home. I turned the stuff back, including your daughter. Glad this could result in a learning experience for you. Midas thanked Dionysus and said he wouldn't say careless things to the gods again. Three days later, Midas received an invitation. His daughter was recovering well, but she was still a little wary of her father, so Midas was happy for the impromptu concert. Marcius, a satyr, had challenged the god Apollo to a contest to see who could play their instrument the best. Now, challenging an Olympian to a contest is rarely a good idea, but Apollo was also the god of music. This was his thing. In a story we'll talk about eventually, Apollo had the first lyre ever from Hermes. Back when Hermes, as an infant, broke out of his swaddling blanket, stole Apollo's cows, killed two of them, killed a turtle, and invented a musical instrument, all before nap time was over. Like I said, we'll talk about it sometime. The satyr Marcius received his flute, called an alos, when it landed in front of him. He looked around, but didn't see who threw it. He couldn't know this, but it had been tossed from Olympus by Athena when it made her face puff up for some reason. Maybe because satyrs couldn't get human germs, or maybe because there wouldn't really be a concept of a germ for a couple millennia, the satyr decided to play the instrument that he found in the woods. Seeing as it was ancient Greece, and Marcius didn't really feel like going out to fight monsters, there wasn't a lot going on, so Marcius had plenty of time to practice his new flute. But just because he didn't feel like putting his life on the line, and fighting Hydras and Cerberuses, he could still make poor decisions, like challenging the god of music to a contest. Dangling on the precipice of really bad idea canyon, Marcius decided to take the plunge into the river of seriously what is wrong with you why are you doing this and told Apollo that as part of the contest whoever won could do whatever they wanted to the other person or satyr or Olympian. Pronouns get tricky in mythology. Midas had been classically trained 
by Orpheus, remember the Argonaut who was really good at music, himself. So he was asked to judge the competition, alongside the muses and others. As the music began, the judges were entranced by the different, yet equally skillful performances, but they were divided and demanded a second round so as to reach a consensus. Stories are divided on what happened next. During the second round, one says that Apollo set the terms for the next round and turned his lyre upside down, reversing all the notes. He played an even more beautiful tune and then looked at Marcius and said, okay, now you do it. Marcius started playing, but Apollo stopped him. No, no, not like that, backwards, like I did on the lyre. Marcius looked at him in disbelief. That's impossible. That's not how flutes worked. His instrument was designed to only allow air in one way. This was totally cheating. Apollo shrugged. He turned to the muses and Midas and asked, Judges, is it cheating for me to ask my opponent to compete in the way I just competed? And on a completely unrelated note, sorry about the field over there that I accidentally burned with the sun the other day when I was dragging the sun across the sky in my chariot. As it turns out, the sun is heavy, and whew, it can just fall anywhere. Anyway, judges, what are your thoughts on allowing this puny, insignificant satyr to cheat in a competition with an Olympian? The muses immediately sided with Apollo, but Midas shook his head. Nope, not fair. The muses stared at Midas, trying to telepathically put thoughts in his head, saying, yeah, shut up. We know it's not fair, but he can drop the sun on us, so we do what he says. Midas, not getting it at all, wondered why this muse was staring at him. Anyway, Apollo was cheating. He was a cheating cheater who cheats. And Midas, suddenly a sage of moral wisdom, was apparently choosing this hill to die on. Even Marcius was shaking his head by now. He could see the writing on the wall. And he was essentially saying, dude, thanks, but stop talking. I'm dead. I know this. And you're not much better off if you don't stop calling Apollo a cheating cheater who cheats. Apollo sighed and rubbed the bridge of his nose. All right, Midas, I don't think you heard me just now. I think you might have difficulty hearing, because I can see you don't understand what I was saying at all. I'm going to help. I think it's those little human ears. They're too small for an intelligence as vast as your own. Let me help you out with that. Suddenly, Midas was hit overwhelmingly with noises from all around. Birds chirping, a bubbling stream off in the distance, and people talking. It was too much and too loud. Midas put his hands to his ears to find that his ears were no longer protruding from the side of his head. Wait, where are my ears? What's going on? Midas screamed, still struggling to find his ears. With his great new hearing sensitivity, he could hear the slight snickers from the muses. He turned to them, but they grew serious and looked down and then broke out in near silent laughter. Midas saw where they were looking though and felt the top of his head and the soft, velvety donkey ears sticking out from his hair. Midas shrieked and ran to a nearby pool to see his new ears, and after he left, Apollo addressed the remaining judges. Huh, it's too bad Midas had to run off like that, but with him gone, it looks like you're all unanimous on me winning the competition, right? The judges' booth full of beans that did not want brand new animal ears unanimously agreed that Apollo was the winner. Tasteful sportsmanship being the name of the game, Apollo had Marcius flayed alive for daring to challenge him. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. 
King Midas has donkey ears. The barber thought to himself after Midas had left. The king has donkey ears. Wow. Just wow. He almost lost it when Midas took off the fancy hat to reveal not just a ridiculous amount of hair, but donkey ears buried in it. The barber was the only person in the kingdom entrusted with the knowledge that the king had such ears, and the king was so sensitive about it that the barber was never allowed to speak of it under the penalty of death. Midas had started wearing fancy hats everywhere, even to bed, a year ago, and no one knew why. Now, the barber knew why. And he couldn't tell anyone. It will be okay, though. He knew he could keep this secret for his king. Hey, how'd work go? The barber's wife asked him when he returned home that evening. Oh, you know, no big thing. I got the hair of the king who looks like an actual jackass now because he has the ears of a donkey. The barber wanted to say, but instead simply said, eh, same old, same old, and then screamed inwardly because, oh my gosh, the king looked like a literal jackass and he couldn't tell anyone. Weeks turned into months and Midas would come regularly to get his hair trimmed by the only barber he could trust and he could trust him but every person has limits. And the barber could only hold the fact that the king had animal ears for so long without telling anyone. After the king left one day, the barber took the afternoon off for a walk in the mountains. The trees in the mountains looked like donkey ears. The clouds looked like donkey ears. Those donkeys that he passed had ears, which I guess makes sense and doesn't go to demonstrate his deep frustration with not being able to utter the words loud. Finally, he knew he had to say it. He couldn't take it anymore. He took the path down the mountain, to the river. He knew that no one would be there this time of day, and he used his hands to make a small hole by the riverbank, just off the road. He took a couple of glances here and there, and put his face into the hole. The king has donkey ears! The king has donkey ears! The king literally has the ears of a donkey and looks like a jackass! The barber said into the hole, and proceeded to say it approximately 17 more times, until relief washed over him. He had said it, and it was out of his system. He filled in the hole, and he could go back to work, no longer worried that he was going to blurt it out and die. And everyone in Midas' kingdom lived happily ever after, for about three weeks. There, by the edge of the river, a reed sprouted and grew in the sunlight. It grew and quickly became tall and strong, and also it could talk. A man was on his way back from the market in another city when he heard something by the river. Hey, hey, hey you. Yeah, you with the weird pants. Come here, I have something to tell you. The man heard from the river, but he didn't see anything. You're a talking reed, the man said when he finally discovered the source of the voice. That shouldn't surprise you, buddy. Really, this is Greek mythology. If a plant talking to you is the weirdest thing that happens this week, consider yourself lucky. Anyway, you live under King Midas, right? Well, get this. The king has the ears of a donkey. That's dumb, said the merchant. Yeah, I know, the plant agreed. But it's also really funny. Anyway, that's all I got. You can go. Hey, you, the plant yelled out to the next person walking along the road. Yeah, you. I know, I'm a plant. Get over it. Hey, want to hear a secret? Huh, I'm just kidding. It's not a secret. The king has donkey ears. Hey, so... There's a plant by the river spreading a really nasty root. Oh my gosh, do you actually have donkey ears? Midas' advisor had run into the reed on the road, now with a growing audience for his secret. 
now that the advisor was looking at the king, yeah, the king had been wearing a lot of fancy hats for months and had let his hair grow pretty long. The king had donkey ears. The advisor stifled a chuckle as Midas erupted, howling in rage and stomping off to find the barber. Now, this has been a fun story, and if you want to keep it that way, just skip straight to the creature of the week. I'd like to say that the king who was so obsessed with his image and riches learned that there was more to life and realized that he was asking too much of this humble barber. I'd like to say that Midas owned his curse and lived out the remainder of his happy life not taking things too seriously. That, unfortunately, was not what happened. Midas had the barber executed, immediately, who tried to explain the situation and how was he to know a baby reed could talk. Midas came back with, this is ancient Greece, everything can talk and still had the barber executed immediately. Midas tried to stifle talk around town about his ears, but it was the Streisand effect, where, by Midas making a big deal out of it, it just spread further and more maliciously. I would imagine he ordered people to brutally halt the talk of donkey ears, but, I mean, come on, who's going to take orders from a guy with donkey ears? Like I said, this kind of has a tragic ending. Midas, now the laughing stock of his kingdom, could not take the derision and the disrespect. He drank a drink known as bull's blood, which I found is actually real gar, or arsenic sulfide, and Midas killed himself. Look, I get that life isn't fair, and the gods are capricious monsters who toyed with humanity for fun and profit, but Midas's curse doesn't even crack the top 10 in Greek mythology. I mean, two that come to mind immediately are Leda and the Swan, which, yeesh, and Io, who was raped by Zeus, turned into a cow, stung relentlessly as a fly chased her across the continent, and then forced to return to Zeus to regain her human form, where she carried several of his children. But regardless, to Midas, these donkey ears were obviously a major crisis. And that's okay. Also, according to Robert Graves, donkeys might have been considered holy by Midas's god and one-time life coach Dionysus. So the thin-skinned, gold-obsessed ruler didn't need arsenic, just better PR. That's it for this week. I wanted to add a quick correction or elaboration. Apollo is sometimes identified as the sun god in Greek mythology, but more often, that title goes to Helios. I always learned that Apollo's chariot pulled the sun every morning, and in some places that seems correct, and in some places, the two gods are confused for one another, or merged, but it's not quite as simple as Apollo was the sun god. In the original story, he didn't threaten to drop the sun on anyone, but I just thought that was a nice implied threat. And also, in the very early versions, Midas did not have a daughter. He just got really hungry, and tired of his clothes turning gold, and unable to take a bath. So he went back to Dionysus, and Dionysus took away the power. It wasn't until the 1800s that a daughter was added, but it's the version of the story that most people know today. Next week, it's back to fairy tale land, where I'll be telling the story of the Ugly Duckling by our old, old friend, Hans Christian Andersen, the same guy who wrote Little Mermaid. And this should come as absolutely no surprise to you at this point. The original Ugly Duckling is way more bizarre, violent, and interesting than you could possibly imagine. I want to say thanks to Bryce Bolin, the four J's, like optimistic super exclamation point, bitch, woof. Spun La, that's just gibberish, I think. TXJ78, Cynthia Salazar, Louis Longshadow, LA Davis 96, 
Live Left Talk, 11, JC852, Gabe Pruitt, Link Drow, Dacker23, The Listener 1, Perky Running Gal, and the, yeah, Nate, for their views on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so, so, so much. Not just for listening, but for going to take the time to review. And if you'd like to, Apple Podcasts is still the best place to write a review. And you can find the show there at apple.mythpodcast.com. And there's also a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a dog drying bag, which is a bag that you put around your dog with a hose attached to it, and you stick a hairdryer in the hose to dry your dog after a bath, I guess, you can get extra episodes, source pack ebooks, and ad-free versions of the show that are not just a really hot bag full of wet dog hair. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this week is the Leontophone from Europe. The Leontophone is a tiny creature with one defining characteristic. It's extremely poisonous to lions. Sources conflict as to what it looks like, though, and I found that it can be a tiny, mouse-sized bear, boar, or dragon. Really, take your pick. I'm going to go with little tiny bears running around poisoning all the lions. But yes, they are poisonous to lions, and lions hate them bitterly, and will generally avoid them out of self-preservation. Though, if a mouse bear corners a lion, the lion knows well enough to attack the little guy with his claws, and not his teeth. You might be wondering what the tiny little mouse bear's plan is when he or she has the lion cornered. Well, the leontophone's saliva and urine are also poisonous to the lion. So, yeah. I guess that's their plan. Though they don't appear poisonous to humans, mice bears must have been pests for the people in the Middle Ages, because the medieval bestiaries rejoice with the solution to killing off the lions that also involves the mouse bear's death. Basically, you catch and kill the leontophone like a mouse, cook it, and sprinkle some of its ashes on meat, and leave the meat at a crossroads. Even coming in contact with a trace amount of the leontophone's ashes was enough to kill the lion. So once that's done, you have a free lion for your Hercules cosplay. Now, I've had numerous people reach out to me with small details like, how could such and such story exist when there are no lions on the continent of Europe? Well, I think we just found out our answer as to why there are no more lions on the continent of Europe. Tiny, annoying bears. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to other music in the show notes. And thanks again to Loot Crate for sponsoring this week's show. This month's theme is Guardians and features authentic products from Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Star Wars, Destiny, and Goonies. And one lucky subscriber will also win a mega crate. Be sure to subscribe by 9 p.m. Pacific time on the 19th to receive this month's crate. And you can save $3 off your subscription when you go to lootcrate.com legends and enter code legends. Today's episode was written by me, Jason Weiser, and produced by Carissa Weiser. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.